the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider, featuring a wrap-up of Vatican news the past week, a Q&A, and a new guest in the interview segment. In fact, tune in after the news and Q&A to listen to my conversation with Brad Hahn, CEO of Solidarity Health Share, who will tell you about this community, a ministry really, that supports you and your family by lowering your medical bills, providing you with a team of care professionals to help you navigate the health care system, and giving you peace of mind knowing your health care dollars are used ethically. Learn of the challenges facing health care providers and how Solidarity helps families in their own health challenges. By the way, Brad is a lawyer and has worked for decades in the Phoenix, Arizona area. And now the week's news highlights. Sunday, April 24th. Divine Mercy Sunday, we saw a big celebration when in St. Peter's Basilica, in the presence of 8,500 faithful, Archbishop Arino Fisichella, President of the Pontifical Council for Promoting the New Evangelization, presided at Mass, the first time the Divine Mercy Mass was back in the Basilica since 2019. Pope Francis participated and delivered the homily. Lately, he's been suffering debilitating knee pain and on Friday underwent some tests. Some of his activities have been reduced because of this. Mass was celebrated in the presence of 300 missionaries of mercy, including EWTN's own Father John Paul. Created for the 2016 Jubilee of Mercy, the priests are in Rome for their third international meeting. Francis did appear, however, at his study window for the noon Regina Chaley, recited during Easter time. He greeted Eastern Catholics and Orthodox as they celebrate Easter, saying it is sad that on these days, which are the holiest and most solemn for all Christians, we hear the deadly noise of weapons rather than the sound of bells announcing the resurrection. It is sad that arms are taking the place of words. Francis then renewed his appeal for an Easter truce, calling it the least and yet the most tangible sign of a desire for peace. This year marks the 22nd anniversary of the canonization of St. Faustina on April 30th, 2000, and Pope John Paul's designation of the Sunday after Easter as Divine Mercy Sunday. Monday, April 25th, Pope Francis gave the valedictio at the end of the funeral mass in St. Peter's Basilica for Cardinal Javier Lozano Barragan, President Emeritus of the Pontifical Council for Healthcare Workers. Mass was celebrated by Cardinal Giovanni Battista Rey. Also Monday, Pope Francis sent his Easter greetings to Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill, and he prayed for the people of Ukraine as they long for a new dawn that will end the darkness of war. Dear brother, wrote the Pope, may the Holy Spirit transform our hearts and make us true peacemakers, especially for war-torn Ukraine, so that the great Easter passage from death to new life in Christ may become a reality for the Ukrainian people, who long for a new dawn that will end the darkness of war. Also Monday, Pope Francis received in audience a group of students from the Catholic Chaplaincy at Queen's University in Belfast, Northern Ireland, as they celebrate the 50th anniversary of the chaplaincy. 
The Holy Father encouraged them to cultivate the culture of encounter in their academic community. Building a culture of encounter in the service of God's kingdom is personally demanding, but at the same time exciting, as it allows us to weave a web of relationships which can make our lives together a genuine experience of fraternity, a caravan of solidarity, a sacred pilgrimage. Also Monday, Pope Francis received participants in the International Trinitarian Solidarity Conference, and he pointed to the dramatic actuality of their charism that promotes action against religious persecution and solidarity with victims of slavery, oppression, exclusion, and persecution. Trinitarian International Solidarity is an order committed to incarnating the Trinitarian charism in the specific area of liberation on behalf of those who, because of their Christian faith, are reduced to slavery, oppression, exclusion, or persecution. And again Monday, Pope Francis welcomed missionaries of mercy from around the world in the Paul VI Hall, and he encouraged them to receive warmly those seeking God's mercy and to offer consolation to the sad and lonely. Francis said their ministry is the one closest to his heart, and he recalled that even he had their fundamental role included in the new apostolic constitution on the Roman Curia, Predicate Evangelium, in the section on evangelization. He told the missionaries they are now part of the structure of the church and hopefully will grow in number as bishops identify priests who are holy, merciful, ready for forgiveness, in order to become full-fledged missionaries of mercy. Also Monday, in St. Peter's Basilica, Pope Francis met a delegation of the victims of Sri Lanka's 2019 Easter bombing, led by Cardinal Malcolm Ranjith of Colombo, along with Sri Lankan Catholics working in Italy. He asked authorities to reveal the truth behind the April 21, 2019 attacks in which some 270 people were killed, including at least 45 foreign nationals, and some 500 people were injured. Tuesday, a quiet day in the Vatican, but on Wednesday, continuing his catechesis at the Wednesday General Audience on the meaning and value of old age, Pope Francis took inspiration from the Book of Ruth, noting that bonds uniting the generations can prove enriching for families and for the growth of society. He reflected on the figure of the widow Naomi, recounting the relationship of love and mutual support between the elderly Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth. This beautiful story, he said, sheds light on the beauty of family bonds. Francis urged young people to talk to their grandparents and their elders, and older people to talk to young people. This, he said, will foster harmony and forge that beautiful bridge that we must guard and watch over. Also Wednesday, in a video to the U.S. National Catholic Congress on Hispanic Ministry taking place in Washington, D.C., Pope Francis invited participants to reflect on the need to be Christians who can create bridges in all sectors of society and he called on humanity to change its mindset and to plan for peace. Francis said, We are living an absurd time in which, without having yet come out of a pandemic that has afflicted all of humanity with great suffering and sorrow, we find ourselves in the midst of the suffering and tragedy of a war. Every war is born of injustice. Every war, including those that at times we wage in our families and communities, which are fought in silence, 
They, too, are born of injustice. Thursday, April 28th. Pope Francis addressed 2,000 participants in an ecumenical pilgrimage from the Polish Archdiocese of Lodz. Pope Francis recalled the great ecumenical sensitivity shown by its first bishop, Bishop Vincenti Tamianiki, and encouraged the pilgrims to continue to safeguard his ecumenical determination. Francis said another important legacy of the bishop's episcopal ministry was mercy, which is also, he said, in the DNA of the Church of Lodz. Also Thursday, a hundred-member delegation of the Papal Foundation in Rome on pilgrimage this week was welcomed by Pope Francis, who thanked the members for the generous support provided both to me and to the Church in so many areas of the world. Your charitable outreach continues to extend to those on the peripheries of society who live in material and frequently spiritual poverty. Your work helps to bring the love, hope, and mercy that the gospel proclaims to all who benefit from your generosity and commitment. Each steward of St. Peter, member of the Foundation, makes a $1 million gift to a carefully managed fund that annually delivers a portion of its resources to support the Holy Father's requests. Friday, April 29th. The Holy Father received members of the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors. That, with the new apostolic constitution for the Curia, is now part of the Roman Curia, within the Dicastery for the Doctrine of Faith. Francis said at times, the reality of abuse and its devastating and lasting effects on the life of little ones seems to prevail over the efforts of those who strive to respond with love and understanding. The path to healing is a long and difficult one. Abuse in any form is unacceptable. The sexual abuse of children is particularly grave as an offense against a life that is just beginning to flower. Instead of flourishing, one who is abused is deeply injured, at times permanently. However, said Francis, seeds have been sown that are starting to bear good fruit. Cases of the abuse of minors by members of the clergy have decreased for several years now in those parts of the world where data and reliable resources are available. Also Friday, the Pope met with members of the plenary session of the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences. Those are the week's news highlights, but stay here for a Q&A and then my interview with Brad Hahn, CEO of Solidarity Health Share. Welcome to the Q&A. Two terms often used by the media to describe papal documents are rescript and motu proprio. Readers want to know what they mean. Well, here you go. Rescript is from the Latin re scribere, to write back, and they are written responses of the Pope or a congregation of the Roman Curia to queries or petitions of individuals. Some concern the granting of favors or the administration of justice under canon law, such as the interpretation of a law, the appointment of a judge, etc. Sometimes the favor itself is actually granted in the rescript. Motu proprio is the other term. From the Latin, motu proprio means on his own impulse or initiative. In law, it describes an official act taken without a formal response from another party. The term is very rarely used in legal opinions in the United States, where sua sponte is preferred, but proprio motu is used in Canada. In Catholic canon law, motu proprio refers to a document issued by the Pope on his own initiative and personally signed by him. Such a document may be addressed to the whole church, to part of it, or to some individuals. 
A document issued motu proprio has its legal effect even if the reasons given for its issuance are found to be false or fraudulent, a fact that would normally render the document invalid. Its validity is based on its issuance by the Pope by his own initiative, not upon the reasons alleged. The first motu proprio was promulgated by Pope Innocent VIII in 1484. It continues to be a common form of papal rescript. This is Bernadette Bogusky, Executive Director of WCCR Cleveland, AM 1260 The Rock. Why do we need Catholic Radio? To reach the hearts, minds, and souls of those who are searching for deeper meaning and don't know where to turn. To bring clarity to a world full of lies and confusion. And to share the good news of joy and mercy with a world so desperate for the truth. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio. Now more than ever. EWTN Global Catholic Network is the largest religious media network in the world. 11 global TV channels, English and Spanish radio networks with over 500 AM and FM radio affiliates, one of the largest Catholic websites in the world, dozens of podcasts every week, social media, electronic and print news services, and EWTN publishing. EWTN is the global Catholic network. For more about EWTN, visit EWTN.com. Prayer doesn't have to be anything rigid or formal. Of course, we have countless ones we can turn to when words don't come to mind. So rote prayers are fantastic, but I also like to pray by listening to praise music, reading the Psalms, and just listening to God's voice. Keep in mind that prayer is a two-way endeavor. Sometimes we think it's just us talking and God listening. If that's what your prayer life has mainly consisted of, try getting used to listening to God speak to you. You'll hear beautiful and amazing things. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Well, I want to welcome my listeners to another rendition of Vatican Insider of the interview segment. And my special guest this week in Rome is Brad Hahn. And Brad is the CEO of Solidarity Health Share. You're going to learn a lot about that in a minute if you knew nothing. And I'll be putting, as I usually do, you know I do, the weekend before the interview airs and I talk about Brad on my on my blog, I will be putting that link in. You're really going to want that. And what is so interesting about our encounter this time in Rome is that two years, excuse me, one year ago, we met in Rome at a restaurant that uh, my listeners know I, I love, and it's Taverna Agape. And I was there alone. I was about to leave, and, and this gentleman, whom I now know as Brad, was dining with a priest who happened to recognize me, a priest from Phoenix, Arizona, who knows a nephew and, and niece of mine, and uh, also recognized my work on EWTN. And we spoke for a few minutes. I was fascinated by Brad's work, by the concept of solidarity health share, and, and I said, the next time you're in Rome, we must talk. And as we're talking, this is the next time he's in Rome. So, so Brad, welcome, welcome to Rome. Yes, thank you, Joan. It's a blessing to be here and a blessing to just have a nice meal with you and uh, exactly. blessing to be on the interview right now with you. Yeah, we couldn't not share a meal at Taverna Agape again, and it was pretty 
pretty fabulous. We're meeting on a Roman holiday, and everybody and their uncle was out for a walk or lunch or something. So, um, Now, Brad, tell us about, because it's such a fascinating concept, tell us about Solidarity Health Share, the concept, how it came about, and how the sharing part of it works. Well, Solidarity Health Share, Joan, is basically a, a national movement in the church in the United States that brings like-minded Catholics together uh, to share one another's uh, burdens regarding health care, not only the financial sharing of medical expenses, but also the prayer that we would come together and pray as a community for this. And um, and so it's a national to national movement. And what's the biggest blessing about it is we have uh, right around 8,500 families right now uh, in the United States that are on Solidarity Health Share coming together as a community, sharing one another's financial expenses regarding health care. Well, that is so important, and basically, as we can see on the site, you have affordable health care for you and your family. And I'll just quote a line from the website. Solidarity Health Share supports you and your family by lowering your medical bills, providing you with a team of care professionals to help you navigate the health care system, and giving you peace of mind knowing your health care dollars are used ethically. So, so Brad, how, how do you do that? The first thing is the, the key is ethical. So we are a believer in following the teaching of the Catholic Church on ethical and moral health care. So our members are guaranteed not to share in any medical expenses that go contrary to the teaching of the church. So, for example, we don't share in contraception, sterilization, gender reassignment surgeries, and the like. Um, but most importantly, it's, it's about the savings that we see for our fellow men and women. Because it, that's also, to me, a moral issue is how health care is priced in our country. So, for example, last year in 2021, our families submitted over $90 million worth of medical expenses. We were able to negotiate and get those repriced down to just a little bit over $30 million. So we were able to save our families over $60 million last year in health care. And then that's when the health sharing kicks in, right, Joan? Because then now that $30 million is shared among our memberships. So, for example, when my son had an ankle surgery a couple years ago, there was a, a few hundred families contributed to my son's ankle procedure. And it was a blessing that we could come and help. And just like when we share our health care sharing dollars with other members, we have an opportunity to wish them well, to pray for them when they go through um, you know, procedures with their families as oh, well. Oh, sure. Yeah. Now, you were telling me over lunch, though, that this is not uh, insurance, an insurance policy. So how Don't, does this differ? Yeah, it's, it's not insurance at all. And so if it was insurance, we would have to pay for expenses like abortion, contraception, and sterilization. So that's what's a beautiful part of a, of a healthcare sharing ministry, is we get to decide as a Catholic community what we're going to share medical expenses about. Not only that, we're able to expand and go further than what health insurance can do. So example, we talked about at lunch with NAPRO Technology and other pro-women affirming medical procedures that are faith of the church. We share that among our membership as well. Well, as a matter of fact, I was one of the things that I did write down was an enthusiastic fan, Abby Johnson. She's the CEO and founder of And Then There Were None, and she wrote on, your, on the website, They are passionate supporters of life, and I'm ecstatic that they share into the medical treatments such as the NAPRO technology and natural family planning programs. And regarding NAPRO, of course, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Thomas Hilgers, who founded it and uh, inventor of NAPRO, and I've interviewed him, and he's also the founder and director of the Pope Paul VI Institute for the Study of Human Reproduction in Omaha, Nebraska. So NAPRO, an important pro-life natural family planning program. 
So it's wonderful to know that that's there. Now, well, what happens there too, Joan, you got to think about it is if, if a normal family, an average American family comes into their doctor and they got some fertility issues, not many of the doctors in the common market are familiar with NAPRO technology. I know. So what's the first thing they do? They send them off for in vitro fertilization. And we know how they get, that's against the teaching of the church is creating babies in that, in that regard. But for us is we wanted to make sure that our families um, know there's an alternative, a moral alternative to, to, uh, to having a baby. Really. Oh, it's astonishing in how many aspects of life, not just medicine, that uh, the safer or morally better alternatives are never made known. Right. And and I know, I mean, I said to Dr. Hilgerson, he does all he can and his staff does all that he can to promote it. But I'm sure doctors out there know of NAPRO, but if they don't want to publicize it, then they don't. And, and the loser in that case is the family yeah. who does care about the moral issues. Yeah, we yeah. saw that too with a, a mom that called in and asked a couple of years ago to one of our nurses, Will you pay for medical expenses for Planned Parenthood because my daughter needs to go on birth control, who is a teenager? And the doctor wants birth control. And we says, uh, no, we will not allow your art and share in medical expenses reading a birth control. But where do you live? And she's told us she lived in San Diego. So we were able to refer her to a very faithful Catholic doctor. And the Catholic doctor figured out that it was just a hormonal issue. And got some natural supplements for the teenage yeah. girl, and got her her regular you know cycle you know regulated better and, and better health, and she felt a lot better. The mom called back in tears about two months later. Wow. My daughter is so much better. I didn't even know this technology existed out there. I'm so glad you wouldn't allow me to go to Planned Parenthood. Sure, so, yeah. I can't even imagine the numbers of people, individuals, families that that you help by by providing this service and this and this help and this choice and it really it sounds solidarity health share sounds like an increasingly critical option really for catholics and others who don't want to violate their consciences when accessing health care yeah well we see that joan we talked about the the incentives to join solidarity for that we share in expenses that insurance doesn't share like nepro technology the other side like you just said is the conscience issue and so the con where does our conscience violations come from it's from the federal and state governments coming through insurance. They're able to dictate what an insurance company must cover and not cover. That's what's beautiful about a health sharing ministry because we're a ministry, faith to the teaching of the church. We can say, no, we're not insurance uh, because we, we don't, we don't uh, prescribe the insurance concept. We're a group of believers that are coming together to, uh, with a common set of goals and values to follow the teaching of the church and health care to respect the dignity of every human life and not to destroy right. it. Well, we saw the uh, you know all the objections to Obama health care in yeah. the early years, and all the little sisters of the poor who had to keep going to court because here they were taking care of of senior citizens of the elderly, you know, and, and they were supposed to make sure that um, they offered in their insurance programs that they offered a, abortion, etc. Well, I mean, it was laughable in the first place. That wasn't going to interest the nuns. It didn't interest their, you know, the people that they were helping. But the, those nuns were just the tip of the iceberg of the people that were suing the government. And you know that kind of brings me to, to something that um, seems it's an upcoming threat to consciences um, in the United States, and that's the expected transgender mandate. Now I'm going to read just a few uh, short paragraphs here from a piece by CNS Catholic News Service. Leadership at the Catholic Benefits Association. 
Association believes the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services will soon announce new regulations that may pose an existential threat to religious-based employers, including Catholic hospitals. Discovery of a 74-page legal memorandum attached to a court filing from a consortium of 30 sexual rights groups last year revealed the HHS, that's the Department of Health and Human Services, has promised to revise its mandates on health plan coverage and performance to include surgical abortion, cross-sex hormones, gender transition surgeries, gender-affirming cosmetic surgeries, and voice modification. That I had never heard of. Along with a host of expanded services, uh, services dealing with fertility treatments, contraceptions, abortifacients, and sterilization. So it's believed that sometime in April, HHS, of course we're at the end now, could announce the proposed regulations which would not only disallow religious exemptions, but would have a broad cost and compliance impact. I don't even know where to go. I just know that none of those expressions or words as I was growing up were even part of any human vocabulary. Tell me more about this mandate. Yeah, well, the first problem is this mandate still stems from the Affordable Care Act. So a government agency like HHS cannot issue a prescribing type of regulations without statutory authority. So with the Affordable Care Act, there's a, a section in there in their law under Section 1557, which allows Congress and HHS to allow transgender type of discrimination mandates in, in, into, the, into their health care system. And again, that's where we are, right? So if you have insurance, you got to follow the government rules. And now the new government rule, they're finally getting around the regulations. And Joan, I'm surprised that this didn't happen earlier because it was in the law and the Obama administration never touched this for some reason. But I've been talking about this for five years now that it's there and it's going to come alive and and now we're starting to see it come to fruition. So what does that mean for the average American sitting there that's on insurance? That means that your healthcare dollars that you're contributing to the insurance company is going to pay for the mutilation of teenagers when it comes to transgender and, and, and reassignment surgeries and such like that. But now what's beautiful about being part of solidarity is we can say no to mandates like that, number one. But number two is we can teach our members the truth, beauty, and goodness of human dignity. And so what we've done at Solidarity is we have a a really robust telehealth program. We work with Dr. Greg Popcheck uh, when it comes to mental health counseling. And so now our faithful families that maybe has a child that's struggling with this, instead of getting their bodies mutilated or, or going through that procedure, they can get the proper health framed in the anthropology of the Catholic Church to really try to help the family and that child get through this together. That's all the time I have today with Brad Hahn, but come back next week when he tells us more about Solidarity Healthcare, this company, a ministry really, that supports you and your family by lowering your medical bills, providing you with a team of care professionals to help you navigate the healthcare system, and giving you peace of mind knowing your health care dollars are used ethically. By the way, I did not mention earlier that Brad is a lawyer and has worked for decades in the Phoenix, Arizona area. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.